story in sound. You can just see the outline of Mount Cook. Can anyone see it? Yeah. And we've got Lake Pukaki here in front of us. It's just beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Come on up. From the outside, the Pukaki Wine Cellar Observatory is a simple concrete building draped in vines of Virginia creeper. Owner Luke Pardacooper jokes that it looks like a bunker. Inside, through a heavy wooden door, Candlelight flickers on rows of wine bottles lining the far wall. On one side of the room, there are comfortable-looking armchairs. Opposite, a small bar, with wines, whiskies, and other spirits. Now, before we get underway with the stargazing, can I offer anyone yes. a job? <laughs> he toasts the king. The group relaxes, chatting, waiting for the sky outside to grow dark. Then it's time to move into the other half of the building, leaving the wine cellar behind. The guests line up and step through a doorway screened off by a heavy curtain. Behind the curtain, a few stairs lead up to a dark room with a telescope fixed in the centre. The viewing room would be pitch black if not for the red lighting along the floor. Red because red light doesn't interfere with the human eye adjusting to darkness. Once the group is gathered around the telescope, it's time for the big moment. Overhead, the roof slides away to reveal a sky thick with bright stars. Welcome, everyone. What a night. Luke then operates the telescope, focusing on one planet, then another. The guests take turns leaning into the eyepiece to get a closer glimpse of the wonders of the New Zealand night sky. It just shows the vastness that's out there and that's all I can say about it. It's just the, the vastness and it's just the time to just stop and be outside with a warm jacket on and just look up and, and see the beauty that's around. It's just amazing. Has everyone seen that? That's beautiful. In this episode, we explore some of the amazing activities available at Mount Cook Lakeside Retreat. First, we look up into the beautiful night sky. Then, we take a brief tour of some of the other world-class experiences that await you in the Aoraki Mount Cook region of New Zealand. The skies above Mount Cook Lakeside Retreat are some of the clearest in the world. Luke and Kay Pardacooper's estate is located in the Auraki Mackenzie International Dark Sky Reserve. In 2012, the year they began building their first villa, the region became the third accredited dark sky reserve on Earth. It was the first to achieve gold status, which means light pollution is almost non existent. What was it like for you? 
coming from a big city like Wellington to live here in the Dark Sky Reserve? I think one of the things that struck me was we were lying in bed one night and I opened my eyes and nothing happened. So it was just as dark with my eyes closed as with my eyes opened. The Dark Sky Reserve covers more than 4,000 square kilometres. It includes Aoraki Mount Cook National Park and the whole Mackenzie Basin. Thousands of people travel to the region each year just to look into its pure dark skies. National Geographic called it one of the best spots on the planet for stargazing. The Aurora Australis, or Southern Lights, are frequently visible, glowing and flickering on the horizon. Visitors from the Northern Hemisphere find a completely new sky. Familiar sights like the North Star and Big Dipper are hidden on this side of the Earth, replaced by constellations like the Southern Cross. Astrotourism has been a highlight in the area since the early 2000s, when stargazing tours began at a research observatory at nearby Lake Tekapo. When Kay and Luke began planning their retreat, they knew they wanted to showcase the experience of stargazing from their secluded property. At the time, it came clear it would be good to have some form of observatory here on site because people were travelling at night time going to Tekapo to the wonderful dark sky project there. But we thought, why not do something on site that was a little bit different so they didn't need to travel and it also enhanced their experience here. As with other projects, they were hands-on. They sketched out building designs, learned about telescopes, visited observatories, and talked with astronomy experts. They knew they wanted a structure that was protected, as much as possible, from the wind and cold, but open to the maximum area of sky. They also wanted their stargazing experience to be personal for couples and small groups, and luxurious to fit the standard of their food and accommodation. The final concept was for a combination wine cellar and observatory, where guests could enjoy a glass of wine or a dram of whiskey before they explored the universe. Luke designed the building himself. We've actually built the observatory into the ground so that we actually can take the whole roof off of the observatory. So you end up in an area that's about 20, 25 square metres that you are totally exposed to the dark sky. When it came time to build, Luke and his team poured metres of concrete by hand, working outdoors in extreme cold. We have to be quite resourceful because we don't have a a bottomless pit of money to just throw at things. So I wanted to try and do it as cost-effective as possible. That winter, the temperature reached minus 20 degrees Celsius, which is minus 4 degrees Fahrenheit. Luke called it the most physically difficult building project they'd done. We were really on a tight budget. And one of the things we could save money on was actually pouring the concrete ourselves without a pump. So the trick was that on a Thursday afternoon at three o'clock, we'd have a truck turn up and there'd be four of us on site and we would actually manhandle with buckets the concrete from the truck into the actual blocks or the formwork that we had. It was very character building, and I think we could save about $100 a load by doing that. So I think we come to realise that once we started on other projects that that wouldn't be a good idea to carry on. Today, private stargazing tours are one of the retreat's most popular activities. 
Guests gather at the observatory after sunset. They sip drinks and trade stories of the different journeys that brought them here, while they wait for the sky to fully darken. When the conditions are right, the host leads them to the stargazing platform, opens the roof, and reveals the drama of the night sky overhead. The conversation ranges from science to mythology, including Māori stories of the constellations. I like the mythology that goes with the dark sky, and I don't profess to be an expert in that, but, you know, Matariki is a really significant event for us, and it's becoming more and more significant for New Zealand Pākehā. Matariki, the Māori name for the Pleiades, rises in New Zealand's midwinter. For many Māori, it marks the start of a new year. But the mythology about, you know, the waka coming up at Matariki or Māori New Year and collecting the souls of the dead for that year and then going back down, that's the constellations coming up into the horizon and then going back down again. Traditionally, the indigenous Māori people lived by the guidance of the night sky, navigating and planting crops by the stars. Each of the nine stars of Matariki has a significance for Māori in some way, and and I love that part of it. I love the mythology and the interpretation of the dark sky. And it's different, you know, if you go to Australia, the Aboriginal will have a different interpretation. We have the Greek interpretation, which, you know, has, has a lot of the Greek objects that we've taken up from the astronomers of our past. So the meaningfulness of it, I think, is something that really impresses me. In the observatory, the telescope is set up to work with cameras, allowing guests to try astrophotography and take home their own photos of the stars. The retreat sometimes hosts photography workshops and astrophotography events. Guests of the retreat's luxury villas have the option to add a stargazing experience to their stay. Visitors not staying at the retreat can still book an evening of stargazing or come for an elegant dinner prepared by the retreat's chefs with stargazing to finish the night. Have there been any reactions from guests to the observatory that were particularly memorable or surprising? I remember a guy from Beijing, he came into the observatory and when we opened the roof to reveal the dark sky and the stars, he started crying and he said, I haven't seen stars since I was a child. He would have been about 55, 60 years old, I'd say. So it was a big revelation for him to actually experience the dark sky and the stars. That You know, that's without even knowing what the objects are, it's quite overpowering, really. Villa Guestbook, October 2020. We have seen it all. We've had snow and sunshine. We've gazed at the stars. Thank you, Luke, for the unforgettable experience of photographing galaxies far, far away. It's been a magical three days. Thank you all for the privilege. Darkest skies, bluest lakes, tallest mountains, largest glaciers. Everything about this landscape is grand. It feels vast and open. Just standing on the shore of Lake Pukaki, looking over the view, gives a sense of limitlessness and freedom Tourists have been coming to this region since the 1800s, not far behind the first European settlers. In 1884, the first hotel near Aoraki was built. 
On December 18, 1886, the Littleton Times, a Christchurch newspaper, ran an article called Notes from the Mackenzie Country. If rumour is correct, we shall have a great flood of tourists to Mount Cook this season, it read. The tourist season may be said to have opened on the 1st of December with the first weekly coach, though an odd one or two appeared upon the scene in November. As the first coach passed up, reports said that there was a real live lord from England on board. In those days, as now, visitors were drawn to the wild landscape and its promise of adventure. A 1922 ad in the Christchurch Press declared, There is nothing finer in the world than the soul-inspiring, glistening grandeur of the Southern Alps. The stupendous Tasman Glacier is one of the seven wonders of the world and must be seen to be realised. The Tasman is the largest glacier in New Zealand. Today, guided helicopter hikes allow visitors to walk on the glacier itself, exploring ice formations and crawling into ice caves. Inside, the glacial ice is so dense it looks turquoise blue. In winter, you can even ski the Tasman, a true bucket list experience. It's only like a green run. It's not a black run at all. It's K and I have experienced it, but an absolutely amazing experience. It reminds me of skiing over in Europe, but the only difference is there's no one around. You have the whole glacier to yourself. There are legendary walking tracks in the National Park. Some are challenging vertical climbs, like the route to Sili Tans and Muller Hut. Others are gentler tracks, easily enjoyed in a few hours. The Hooker Valley track is here, one of the most famous and spectacular day walks in the world. It takes about three hours. And when you do the Iraqi Hooker walkers, you end up at the glacial lake, and, and that has its own moods. That sometimes it can be totally clear of icebergs, and sometimes it can be 70, 80% full of icebergs, just depending on the mood that it's feeling. For those who want to get out on the glacier lakes, kayak and boat trips carry you close enough to touch the icebergs, or lift a piece of ancient ice from under the water and hold it in your hands. Then there is Auraki himself, New Zealand's tallest mountain, dominating the landscape. In the 1800s, Julius von Haast completed many early surveys of the Southern Alps. He wrote, The magnificent pyramid of Mount Cook stood high above all, towering into the sky. As far as the eye could reach, everywhere snow and ice and rock appeared around us, and in such gigantic proportions that I sometimes thought I was dreaming. And instead of being in New Zealand, I found myself in the Arctic or Antarctic mountain regions. In these ranges, Edmund Hillary honed his mountaineering skills before he and Tenzing Norgay became the first to climb Everest. Climbers still flock to the peak each year, hoping for the right weather and conditions to summit. Rock climbing and mountaineering are a way of life here. But there are far easier ways to see Auraki up close, thanks to aviation and Kiwi ingenuity. In 1955, Harry Wigley was the first to land an aeroplane on snow using retractable skis. His flight landed on the Tasman Glacier. Visitors today can recreate the historic trip, using modern equipment of course, on a Mount Cook ski plane's tour, Wigley told the Christchurch Press. 
The Southern Alps are so inaccessible that only a helicopter or a ski plane can get into many places, and we plan to take in a lot of climbers, skiers, and sightseers in the future. Modern helicopter flights show visitors breathtaking aerial views of the Southern Alps. Most include the opportunity to land high up in the mountains and step out of the helicopter onto permanent snow. Mount Cook Lakeside Retreat's private helipads allow guests to be picked up directly from their villas, fly away into the mountains for an alpine picnic, or, for the ultimate wilderness luxury, fly across the island to a secluded west coast beach to sip drinks and dine on crayfish, New Zealand lobster, fresh from the sea. For sportsmen, local guides offer a day's fly fishing in the backcountry, catching trout and salmon in clear mountain streams. Beyond the mountains, the golden tussock grasslands of the Mackenzie Basin have still more to see. The Alps to Ocean Cycle Trail stretches 300 kilometres from the National Park to the Pacific Ocean at the town of Oamaru. It takes most cyclists about five days to complete the entire ride, but guests of the retreat have the option to enjoy a day on the most scenic parts of the track. We've actually come up with what we call the ultimate Alps to Ocean Day cycle, where you go on these amazing parts of the Alps to Ocean, but we actually transfer you from some of them so that you don't need to cycle on not mundane parts of it, but just on bits so you can get to experience the really great bits all in one day. All this and more is available on the retreat's doorstep. On the estate itself, there's tennis, petonk, pickleball, five kilometres of walking tracks, and plenty of quiet picnicking and reading spots. But most importantly, Kay and Luke want guests to experience the freedom to choose any way of spending their time. There's plenty of adventure for those who want it. There is also the option to do nothing, just enjoy the views and the stillness. I think when you come from the corporate world, and certainly what we were doing, we had leadership roles in everything we did. And so you have a lot of people reliant on you, on your decision-making and your your ability to give to them. And I think when you go into the observatory, it's almost like you're taking and you don't have to do anything, it's just there. And it's the same when you're in the environment here, you feel small. You don't have to control anything or make decisions about anything because nature's actually made all those decisions. 